0: Amen, thank you. If, you. if you don't know me, that, that's not us modelling a new kind of intimate way of praying. We're actually married, so that just, just, to, just to clarify that in case that, that helps anybody. Um, my name's Ed, if you missed that, and um, ah, it's great to be together this morning. It's great to have you online, if you're with us online. Now, just before Christmas, um, as a family, we went to the cinema for the first time in ages and ages and ages. And we went to see the new Spider-Man movie. Um, now we sat on this kind of second to back row, and we were kind of just settling in, and, but sat behind us on the back row were these kind of really noisy, disruptive boys. I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 years old. You know, they were, they were just being really silly and making really loud, like rude noises. You know the kind of rude noises, I mean, don't you, know, that boys make? Um, and they were kind of doing this all the way through the film, and, and you know, people around were kind of telling them to, to be quiet, and... You know what, I was just kind of sitting there, just getting a little bit more wound up as the minutes went on. And you know that feeling where you just feel that tension and that irritation kind of rise in your body. Uh, But one thing I've learned over the years is that um, telling other kids off in front of your own kids is not always uh, something that goes that well. And so there I was kind of just biting my lip and kind of taking it out on the jelly babies, you know, and just kind of and thinking, you know, but after a while, it, it just kind of, the irritation rose and it just got to that point and I, I just couldn't take it any longer. And I turned my head, my head round and I don't know what you're expecting me to say. I mean, I'm a church pastor. So I, there were no, there were no bad words. You know, there were no, it didn't even say shut up. There was no shouting. I mean, I'd just come back from a walk with Matt Crossman. So I was feeling particularly holy that day. Um, <laughs> So, so I, just, I just, just affirm polite, guys, would you be quiet, please? Thank you. Just as polite and as calm as that, I promise. And so I spent the next minute or so just, just basking, marvelling in, in the fruit of the spirit in my life. That self-control, that, that gentleness that I demonstrated at the cinema that day. But then they start up again. You know, and so I'm then come my blood starting to boil, and I've just sort of started fantasizing about Spider Man jumping out of the screen and wrapping them up in spiders while I've been dangling them from a tall building. Do you know what I mean? It's like that. Do, do you ever feel a little bit like that in life? Okay, I was a bit afraid you're going to leave me hanging out there. Um, <laughs> is, is the world getting angrier? You know, newspapers are saying that we're living in the age of rage. There was a, a Gallup poll uh, that took place three years ago where people from around the world, they were called up and they were asked if they'd felt angry that day. 22% said yes. To be honest, I think a whole lot of people getting called up by pollsters asking if they're angry um, is probably contributes to that percentage to a, a bit. Um, you know, a few years before that, there was a UK survey that basically found that that 50% of us have responded to computer problems by hitting our devices, by hurling parts of them around the room, or by shouting at someone nearby. Now, this is a safe place. There's only a few people online watching. I promise. Who has? Who's part of that 50%? You're lower, lower than average, obviously, which is great. Um, you know, social media has given us whole new ways of joining in with the rage, hasn't it? You know, we can get angry about anything and everything. You can go on mum's net and you can get angry at other people's lazy husbands. You know, you can, you can go on Twitter and you can express your rage about politics and sport or even punctuation um, if you want to. Um, you go on Facebook to kind of join in all the ranting about people who have left their dogs in hot cars. Um, you know, there's, there's something about it. Outrage seems to be all the rage, doesn't it, if you know what I mean? And then, of course, the pandemic has kind of sent this through the roof, hasn't it? There was a study in, in late 2020 that said, this is in the UK, that, that found that 56% of participants said they'd had arguments or felt angry or they'd fallen out with others over how best to behave during pandemic. I guess that percentage has probably gone up a bit since late 2020. But of course, you know, more seriously, we know that sometimes there are very, very real tragic consequences of people acting on their anger. You know, we... We know that domestic violence is a thing, it's a real issue. We know that people suffer, suffer physical harm, they suffer emotional abuse, they, even murder can result from anger when it gets out of control. Anger is a very human and it's a very common emotion to us all. Even Jesus expressed anger. You know, we read of him overturning the, the tables of the money changers in the temple area. We, we hear him call the Pharisees fools. You know, Mark describes Jesus on one occasion as, as looking at the Pharisees in anger because of their lack of compassion for the sick. You know, but one thing we notice about Jesus' anger is that, that you know there was no ego involved in it you know it always seemed to be that jesus anger was out of a love for others and th- there's something about that isn't there you know there's th- there's you know at a really deep level there's there's something a bit wrong if we don't feel anger rise when we think for example about people trafficking when we think about racism or or child abuse or when we think about climate inaction you know in many situations a failure to feel anger is a failure to love. You know, C.S. Lewis, he, he said this, and I'm slightly squeamish, so I'm slightly hesitating saying this. Anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. You know, we think of righteous anger, don't we? We think of righteous indignation. But, you know, I think if we were to be really, really honest with ourselves, you know, I think we, we often attempt to justify our own anger, our own angry responses by what we kind of call them righteous indignation, when actually we really know that's not what's going on at all. We know that it's because we feel hurt or we feel jealous or we feel kind of trodden on. And yet Jesus's anger always seemed to be out of a love for other people, not for himself, hanging on a cross. Having been wrongly accused, having been beaten, having been spat at, having been rejected, Jesus' words were not, I have a right to feel so angry. His words were, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And as we continue our uh, Way of Jesus series from Matthew's Gospel, you know, we find that Jesus speaks right into the heart of this issue of anger. And I think actually speaks right into the heart of our everyday culture today too. Um, our passage today is at the start of our, a whole section where where Jesus gives us kind of six case studies, six areas of, of teaching about, about um, issues in everyday life. And, and these are kind of nitty-gritty, human, really kind of honest topics that are really relevant to us. You know, they could be search categories on Netflix. You know, they, they're things, stuff like the objectification of, of women, you know, stuff like um, divorce and broken promises, revenge, um, broken promises, disputes and manipulation, all kinds of things like that. And the first of the ones he looks at is anger. Next week, Lara's going to be looking at the last of those, going to help us look at that. But uh, let's dive in, Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus teaching the Old Testament. This is Jesus teaching the Old Testament. You know, if at times you've, you've kind of struggled to get to grips with the Old Testament, you know, kind of wondering, is it still relevant? You know, is this really kind of something that matters today? If you've ever wondered, you know, what did Jesus think about the Old Testament? Then actually we find the answer in these whole section of passages here. And so uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll, you'll recognise that, that, that that's a direct quote from uh, one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus in the, the Old Testament, in the Torah. Um, you have heard it said that uh, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment and and cure a, a whole load of people who are listening to Jesus who, who just start switching off. You know, I'm not a killer. I'm not a murderer. Uh, that keeping that commandment is easy. Some of the rest of them, they're quite difficult. But that one is really easy. I can keep that commandment. But Jesus then goes on. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. And anyone still paying attention to, to Jesus is starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable because they're thinking, well, I can't see myself murdering someone, but anger? Well, yeah, that, that kind of feels a little bit more familiar. That's a different story. And we, um, we see this pattern all the way through these kind of six areas of teaching. They, they all start with, you have heard that it was said. And then, uh, and then Jesus goes on to say, But I tell you. And that these six stories all, all have those words in there. But this isn't Jesus kind of doing away with the Old Testament, doing away with, with the commandments and replacing them with something different. You know, a few verses earlier, so we're going to head back into verse 17. Jesus uh, says this do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear not even the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter enter the kingdom of heaven. You know When Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, he's he's not changing the law. He's He's not reversing it. He's not adding to it. He's just explaining it to give it its fuller meaning. To give a fuller understanding of why the law is there in the first place. He's saying, yes, go ahead and keep the commandment. It's really important. But know that the meaning of it is so much broader than what you thought it was at first. And that last verse is, is, I think, is really chilling. About our our righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees. You know, you see, the Pharisees were known for their kind of meticulous observance of of the law. Not only the moral law, which is what Jesus is talking about, but also, you know, those direct commands of God. But also the the kind of all the ceremonial and civil laws that applied to to Israel daily life at that time. Uh, And people will have heard these words and thought, well, you know, surely nobody can do all the right things more than the Pharisees can. But we can so often focus on outward behaviour, but Jesus here is speaking to the heart Jesus is saying to those listening you know you need to move past a list of do's and don'ts that are all about kind of a surface level behaviour surface level righteousness that there's a deeper level of righteousness at stake here and that is about a heart that is transformed to love a heart where the the undercurrent the constant soundtrack that goes along with your life is love you know, let's not misunderstand Jesus here. He's not saying in you know, a behavior is not important. Our behavior matters hugely to Jesus. Like this whole section of passages is about behavior. But Jesus is saying that we should uh, we should be just as concerned about our attitudes that people don't see as the behavior that they do see. And in that way, the quality of our goodness can be greater than that of the Pharisees. So, back to our, our passage on on anger. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in in danger of the fire of hell. You know, what kind of anger is Jesus talking about here? You know, there are, I I don't speak Greek, but there's a few. uh, There's a few Greek words for anger. And the one used by Jesus here is is not a kind of a you know, losing your temper for a bit. You know, kind of a flaring up of of temper and grumpiness that kind of then goes away quickly. Uh, Actually, what he's talking about here is a a kind of a long-lived anger. A kind of seething, brooding, simmering anger that, that kind of refuses to be pacified. You know, a good description would be, you know, nursing a grudge against another person and Jesus uses these words raka and and you fool these were were both kind of everyday terms of abuse in that society you know, raka was a bit like calling someone an idiot or or an imbecile you know it sounds you know pretty mild in the grand scheme of things but but behind these words is a heart of contempt for someone else you Now, my my bible reading yesterday just read this this first Jesus in in Matthew 15 says it's from the message what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart that's so true isn't it what we end up saying usually starts with what's going on in here and Jesus is saying and, and you know if you kind of switched off for a minute, just switch back into this because this is kind of a really really important thing to say Jesus is saying you know the real issue is not whether we'll murder someone that there's a deeper problem that needs addressing. The deeper problem is a kind of a heart level contempt that we can have for other people, a, a kind of a kind of a spite, a, a looking down on people. You know, yes, murder is a terrible sin. But this kind of brooding, unforgiving, simmering, unresolved anger, this holding a grudge, that also violates the the commandment of God to love. And as a follower of Jesus, and as a follower of Jesus here today, uh, it's not enough not to murder people. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, then we need these teachings of Jesus about the heart to to seep really kind of deeply into our hearts, to to transform us from the inside out, to to be a whole new kind of person, someone whose driving motivation is love. There's no room for grudges. And so, what can we do about anger? Well, in a minute, we're going to pray. Because, you know, there's something about anger. Actually, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need him to transform us, to purify us. But, but Jesus goes on in this passage to give us two kind of little illustrations that we can learn from. You know, these are things that we can, we can do when it seems to be that relationships are going a bit wrong, where, where anger is starting to take hold. So we're going to move on to the next um, verse, verse 23. Therefore... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. You know, Jesus is teaching here near Galilee. And so he's speaking to a whole bunch of, of Jewish people. First of all, the disciples and then a whole crowd listening in. And, and these people would make an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They, they would take an animal with them to, to offer for the sacrifice. And, and Jesus is saying, you know, if you get there, you know, it's an 80 mile trip. If you, if you get there and remember that, that actually there's anger and there's bitterness between you and a neighbor, then, then leave your animal with a responsible adult there. And, and go back the 80 miles and, and make it right with that person. And then go 80 miles back to the altar and offer your gift. You know, it's extreme. Um, it's basically to Birmingham and back, you know, walking. I mean, I, I remember a few years ago, I had to do, run an errand take something to Birmingham. And I, for, I went to Birmingham, got to Birmingham and realised I'd forgotten the thing that I was supposed to bring. So I drove back to Bristol and then drove back to Birmingham again. I mean, it's painful, but I was in a car. You know, Jesus, it's extreme, but Jesus is emphasising just how important it is to pay attention to having right relationships. Uh, It's not an easy thing to do, but it's important. It's important. Engage in reconciliation. Take steps forward, radical steps to restore relationships. And I think one thing that we need to realise, and I'm learning this lesson all the time, that, that our relationship with God is tied up with our relationship with other people. You know, I, I don't know, you, you might feel, you might have been feeling a bit distant from God. You might actually be feeling distant from God this morning. And to be honest, there might be lots of reasons why, why that's the case. But, you know, one potential reason why that could be the case is that you're not at peace with someone. And if you're not at peace with someone, then actually you can be in a situation where you're not at peace with God. And it's so relevant to our families. It's so relevant to those we live with. You know, I've already once this weekend, I've had to apologize to my wife. You know, there might be more. There might be more. Um, you know, P- Peter writes in his letter, doesn't he? You know, husbands, be careful how you treat your wife or, or it might hinder your prayers. There's, there's something tied up about our relationship with other people, um, uh, that's relevant with our relationship with God. Putting things right, it can, it can be costly, it can be hard. Birmingham and back. Um, you know, but the way of Jesus is about pursuing peace. And then there's a second little illustration from uh, from Jesus that goes like this. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Deal with it quickly. Don't let it escalate. Now don't give anger a chance to, to fester and to brood by leaving it unresolved. Yeah, you know, if you leave it, it usually gets worse. Paul in Ephesians just says something extraordinarily wise. He says, he talks about not letting the sun go down while you're still angry. That's incredibly wise advice. And so these two illustrations from Jesus, they, they give us this incredible wisdom to, to break the cycle of anger. Make peace as best you can. And don't delay. Don't delay. Are they easy to do? They're really not. They're quite easy to understand, but they're not very easy to do, are they? And as fallen human beings, you know, to be honest, um, you know, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, I just wonder... Whether most of us would actually say, yeah, we're pretty lousy at having kind of open, honest dialogue with other people. Uh, Actually disagreeing well is not something we can necessarily be really good at. But the way of Jesus is the way of pursuing peace. And it's doing it quickly. Just as we finish... um Because I've run out of time. But just to be finished, I just want to touch on one more thing. And to be honest, I kind of say this with a bit of hesitation. It's one of those things where I'm I'm almost like sort of back and forth, should I say it or not. Um, But I I felt God give me a little bit of a nudge when I I came across this article in The Guardian of All Places. And uh, there's this quote here. We've built a world that's extremely good at generating causes for anger, but extremely bad at giving us anything constructive to do with it. We live in denser settlements and thus more frequently get each other's backs up. But our gripes are usually with strangers, which means there's no pre-existing relationship to discuss and recalibrate. That really kind of, um, yeah, that really spoke to me actually. From I don't know whether this guys a Christian, but writing in the Guardian. But I think it's fair to say there's a lot of anger in our world at the moment, isn't there? About about the brokenness of the world, And, and that's in some ways that's quite quite right. But actually, there, there's something, I think, where, where kind of contempt and cynicism are kind of ruling the roost. You know, angry voices in the world are amplified by sort of social media and by, uh, you know, the algorithms that are behind there. It's the angry voices that, that kind of you can hear the loudest. And I, I think in our culture, you know, th- this is kind of the norm. You know, let's use our contempt to change the world. If we all get mad and we go online and say how mad we are, and we get everybody else, all our friends and family, we get them mad too, we can change the world. And I just wonder whether there's a real danger in perpetuating a cycle of anger. You know, particularly at times when there's no relationship. Particularly when there's no... Relationship. Well, there's no route to action. There's no route to dialogue. John Mark Comer, he says this, and you might not agree with this. I'm kind of 50-50, to be honest with you. Um, he says this, there is very little that can be done with anger that can't be done better without it. And even as I say that, I can hear all the counter-arguments in my head, you know what I mean? I can hear all this sense of, there's something, you know, what about the slave trade, you know, will and Wilberforce and that kind of righteous anger of, of, you know, kind of making that change. But I know for me, guarding my heart increasingly means kind of stepping away from the internet. Increasingly it means kind of stepping out of the outrage and stepping into a place of prayer instead. And saying to God, asking God, you know, what can I actually do? What can I actually do with this feeling, with this emotion? And prioritizing real relationships. Prioritizing those route to action. That's the wisdom of Jesus in the context of relationship. Pursue peace. And do it quickly.